All right, we'll go ahead and take a minute and dismiss children for Children's Church. So any who would like to, four years old up through second grade, can head upstairs at this time. You know, that song that we closed on here a few moments ago, Is He Worthy? I always wonder, what, what is the power in that song? It's just a simple question and, and answer, and, uh, but there's just some, there's some teeth to that song. And um, I really believe it's because of this. It, the, the power in that song is the authority and finality with which it answers who in this galaxy is worthy of our worship? Just simply God. Uh, it, the, the, the gripping nature to answer who is worthy of my life, who is worthy of my praise, who is worthy of all that I have. It is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is the one who has forgiven us all of our sin and brought newness to our life and our soul. So it's just wonderful to sing, even in the simplicity, the question, who is worthy? And the answer, he is. Isn't there just great power in that simplicity and finality, brothers and sisters? You know, there's an automobile manufacturer uh, known by the name of Ford. They've had the same tagline, the same motto for a line of their trucks for over 40 years and I could probably, before I finish this, some of you would be able to even finish it with me, built Ford tough. You know, in the advertising world, to have a, a motto or to have a tagline that lasts for even a year is quite an accomplishment. For it to live that long, to have that kind of a life, this is one that has lasted over 40 years and they're still using it. Again, it, it, it's the simplicity of the message that it's trying to bring across that simply we're just putting something, a product out there that is tough. In fact, it's become known as Ford Tough. You know, as we've been walking through the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 has just finished warning us that here's what we cannot do. Here's as Christians what we stay away from. We stay away from any kind of religion that is built human tough. He's saying if, if human hands have tried to build this religion, and always human hands try to build religion from the outside in, that that is how humans try to solve the human problem. Uh, these are the answers to the human problem from a human perspective. Let's regulate the outside. Let's curb the outside. Let's stack on rules and regulations and all of these things. We are going to try to be new people by working from the outside in. We can do this. We will be, be built human tough. Apostle Paul said, run from that. We ended last Sunday's sermon closing out Colossians chapter 2 when he said, these things have the appearance of working but in the end, they are impotent. They have no power in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He said, run from that. It's a mirage. You know, if you, if you see the mirage in a desert, you think there's water ahead. And the closer you get and on greater inspection, you get to it and you realize this is fake. 
It's not, there's nothing there. There's nothing truly there. It, it is just a, a poof into the wind. It, it's nothing. Paul said man-made religion, human-built religion, is of no value. Instead, what we have been learning in the book of Colossians is this, that it is God's power to save us that matters. And God works from a totally different way than we as humans. When we pick up our little hand tools and we try to fix what's wrong on the inside of us, we're trying to work from the outside in. When God does a work in a person's life, it's a totally different direction. It's a totally different perspective. It's from the inside and begins to work out. That it is Jesus Christ who gives us new affections, who gives us new direction. Uh, I'm thinking of the song, And Can It Be, where he said, how is this, and can it be that I should gain an interest in this thing of called the cross? Why? I'm not laying in bed at night thinking, I should have a lot of interest in this person named Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. God is embedding something within us, turning a light on in us, and giving us new life. And he begins to work on us from the inside out. And the apostle Paul said, that now, now you've got something. That is the gospel. That is the power of the message preached. You cannot save yourself on your own. God must do a work from the inside out. But when he does a work from the inside out, he does all of the work and he does it completely. He changes us so that we would be new people. This is exactly what Jesus was saying when he met Nicodemus. You remember this is John chapter 3. And Nicodemus says, well, well, how do I become a new person? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is scratching his head. He's like, born again? I must re-enter my mother's womb and be born outside again? And Jesus said, no, that's not what we're saying. What he's saying is, is that you must be born of the inside. You must be born of the soul. That it is our hearts and our minds that have suffered the effects of sin. And biblically speaking, we are dead on the inside. That must bring new life. And no human hands can touch that. We cannot reach inside of someone else. We cannot reach inside of ourselves and say, Awake! Awake, my soul! And, and do some kind of new birth on our own. That is God's jurisdiction. It is God's delight to do so. And Jesus said you must be born again, meaning we're born twice. We're born physically, but God gives us new birth spiritually. We are awakened. We have new life for all of eternity on the inside. This is what Paul has been teaching us in Colossians. The exaltation of Jesus Christ. What is it that he has done? Who is it that he is declaring to be, how does this contrast between a, a human hand, built human tough kind of religion that we need to push to the side? He continues to give warning after warning in chapter 2. Don't listen to that stuff. Instead, you have died to that. Ah, now we come to Colossians chapter 3 today. It's not just that we've died to a human kind of solution. We have been raised with Jesus Christ. It's not just the death. It's the power of his resurrection working in us that changes us from the inside out. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 today. These are some simple verses we're going to be looking at this morning, four of them. 
but they are powerful in their simplicity. It's almost as if after we get done reading through them, we'll say, oh yeah, of course, I knew that. Or, or that's just such a simple thought, but there's power in it that because of all that Christ has done, we are to set our minds on this and let it so marinate in our souls that it begins to change us in the present, begins to order new things about our lives, that we are to set our minds on all that Christ has done for us. It's a wonderfully simple directive, think on things above. But oh, how a rearrangement and a redirection of thought can change so much for us. You know, it's like engaging the burner on a hot air balloon. If you pull that string on the burner on the hot air balloon, it, 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 it exits some of that flame and that air lifts that balloon above the fray of the earth. And if you could imagine if there was just a whole bunch of chaos going on on the ground and you engage that burner on the hot air balloon and lift it above and you began to have peace and tranquility looking around, that is what setting the mind on things above is doing. The Apostle Paul says, no matter your lot in life here horizontally, if you will set your mind on things above, you're engaging that burner and you're lifting your thoughts above, not on things on the earth. This is where Christ lives this is where Christ begins to change us. and He's doing it from the inside out. So he said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is Colossians chapter 3. I've titled this morning's message, Think About the New. Think about the new. Pulling the thoughts of Christ and God in heaven down to earth and letting that uh, circulate in our minds, and we'll talk about it here in just a moment, letting that mill about in our minds changes things for us here in the present. Thinking on the new gives us present identity and shapes us for how we live down here on earth. Let's look at this first point from Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, I've just kind of stated some of the points this morning in, in some clarifying sentences, if you will, or maybe some summaries uh, that might stick with us and linger a little bit, especially since Paul is going to use some verbiage that we may not be accustomed to. But in verse 1, we're going to see this, that uh, first of all, God works from the inside out. That is the, the totality of what he's making the statement in contrast of chapter 2 to chapter 3. Man's religion tries to work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. The truth is that God, through Christ, has done a transforming work on the inside of you. If you're a Christian here today, if you have repented of your sins and called on God through Christ to save you, your sins have been forgiven. You are new on the inside. God has done a transforming work. This is what Jesus means when he says, you've been born again. There's something new. A light bulb has been turned on, and there is a new work that has been done in your heart. That is the truth, and the apostle Paul tells us this very thing here in chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That is a mouthful in this one sentence. We're going to break it down. But seemingly what the Apostle Paul is simply saying is this. God has done a work on you on the inside. Since that's true, seek those things that are above 
In verse 1 here, we encounter that word as it begins, if. But just like last week, and this was in chapter 2, verse 20, this is not intended to portray any kind of uncertainty, like if this has possibly happened. The sense here is since, since this has happened. It, it is a certain statement because this is true. So Paul says, since you've been raised. Now, this is an unfamiliar phrase to many of us. It's a foreign way of expressing our Christian experience. When, when we hear, you've been raised with Christ, maybe one of the first things we might ask in our mind is this, raised with Christ in, in what way? Um, Christ was raised from the grave. Have I been raised physically? In, in what way is this true since I've been raised with Christ? What I believe this phrase is doing here is giving definition to our experience of Christianity. This is how God defines and describes what has happened to us as Christians. God raised your dead soul together with Christ. We've known that experientially. Now we have God's definition of what actually took place. You know, it was about six or eight months ago where I started wearing these little beauties on my face here. And um, I began to notice that everything in the world was shrinking and getting smaller. The backs of bottles to read. I, I got up here one Sunday and I'm like, it's going to be very difficult to preach a sermon when I can't read the Bible in front of me and my fingers trailing over it. And I was struggling because something was changing. I knew that experientially. A couple of months later, I went to see the eye doctor, and he actually gave me a definition for what was going on. Of course, the word on the street, the, the generic verb uh, word is, I'm just getting old. But there's an actual scientific definition of it called uh, presbyopia. And it just means that the uh, eyes are starting to get older, and there's less um, uh, water that's able to allow focusing and all of this kind of thing. So there's some technical ways of describing the thing that I had already experienced. This is what Paul is doing here in verse 1. He's saying, if, if you listen to Christian testimonies, people will describe something like this. I, I, I don't even know all that happened. I just know that I was awakened to God. Whereas I never cared about God, I never cared about Christ, I never cared about whether my life was pleasing to my maker or not, my, my, my soul has been awakened and I've began to experience something new, something fresh, something wonderful. That is our experience. What Paul is saying here in verse 1 is what's taken place actually, and this is God's way of saying it, he's telling us it's because your soul has been raised up with Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, not in the physical body, not yet, but our souls have been awakened, they've been given life, and in a very real sense, we are already with Christ in heaven. To God, he tells us, spiritually speaking, our soul already has citizenship in heaven because it's joined together with Christ. And this verse further tells us what the position of Christ is in heaven. It says he is seated at the right hand of God. This means that the resurrected Christ 
is exalted. He's exalted in authority. He's exalted in power. He's exalted in glory. Christ has accomplished all of the work of salvation that he had set out to accomplish. Now he occupies the seat of honor and power and authority and majesty in heaven. That is where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then here also is the wonder of that truth, brothers and sisters. Your soul has been united with him. Your soul has been raised and bound together with Christ. So God has awakened us. He's lifted us. He settled us with Christ. And more than just an experience that we now have a little bit more understanding of what is taking place from God's definition and from God's perspective, this gives us identity and it gives us destination. If you are in Christ today, you will never be apart from Christ. You will never be unchristed. You will never be broken apart. We are bound together since you have been raised with Christ. And because that is true, we're going to move on here to verse 2. We are to then be seeking these things that are above where Christ is. Let's look at the second point here from verse 2. Because that truth in verse 1 is established, God's done a transforming work on the inside. You have experienced it. Now you know by definition that this means that we have been raised with Christ Secondly, now continue marinating your mind on this truth, not on things on the earth. Let our minds marinate on this truth again and again. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. And there's a contrast, not on things that are on the earth. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't live down here on this earth. It doesn't mean that there's a complete dissection here of I can only think of those things and never of these things. What Paul is saying is, is that when you allow your mind to be set and fixed on things above, it now invades our life here on earth and allows us to live differently. We're drawing it down from heavenly realms and earthly motives and value systems and everything to come down, and now it begins to invade how we live here. Set your mind. This is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing endeavor. Keep setting your mind is the sense of this verse. It's a command. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul knows that it's a temptation for us. It's almost as if he knows that it's a struggle for us humans to be overly preoccupied with earthly concerns. If this was normal and natural for us to set our minds on things above, Paul would have never had to say this. He would have never had to give this command. Now, there's so many good things to say, and I want to explore this idea for a couple of moments here this morning. Set your mind on things above. The first thing we could say about this is one of the main differences between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian is eternally minded. Our, our values, our motivations, and all of these things are eternal. They're set in an eternal perspective, whereas a non-Christian is earthly minded with values and motivations that are set and established here earthly 
Jesus addressed this very thing in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't be anxious about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. These are all earthly concerns. He said, don't, don't worry about those things. In fact, he said, the Gentiles seek after all of those things, and it creates for them a life of worry and fret. Jesus said, don't be anxious about those things. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. God knows we need them. But when we go vertical first, God adds those things unto us. As a Christian, our mind is to be set first and foremost above. Seek first the kingdom of God. So one, the unbeliever, the non-Christian, is considering the temporary and the physical. The Christian is considering the eternal and the spiritual. The second thing we could say about it is this, and it might be blatantly obvious here, but you have the ability to control what your mind dwells on. You'll notice the understood part of verse 2 is this. You set your mind on things that are above. You have the ability to control what your mind dwells upon. With the help of God, our minds are, be are to be directed upward. It's not to say that we care nothing of earth and think nothing about anything here, but it does mean that the realities of God and the realities of Jesus Christ and the realities of heaven and the realities of eternity should be invading our lives and our decisions and everything that we do down here on earth. Those should be invading how we view things here and the perspective that we have here. So stop considering how your physical earthly life affects your spiritual life and start considering how your spiritual life affects your earthly life. In other words, let your thoughts above invade your life here below. Here's the last thing I'll say about this idea of setting your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, is this. What Paul is putting forth here is what Scripture also calls meditation. Now, not in the mystical way of the New Age type of things where that idea that is very popular today of meditation is more of an emptying of the mind, putting everything out of the mind. When the Bible and Scripture speaks of meditation, it is putting things in the mind as though to chew on them. It's putting them in the mind as though to marinate the thought of that truth. So just an old-fashioned, unhurried space to talk to God and to put Scripture in the mind and to think about it. I often think of maybe a, a, a jolly rancher as you would take that and remove that piece of candy from the wrapper and put it in your mouth and just let it soak there. Uh, just to... Just to to let the, 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 the taste of that be in your mouth for a while. Let it linger. That is the biblical idea of meditation. Setting our minds on something for a prolonged amount of time so that that thought penetrates our hearts and moves us into action. Joshua chapter 1 we hear these words that this book of the law is not to depart out of your mouth, but you are to meditate on it day and night. Again, not an emptying of the mind, 
but a putting in of God's word. Psalm chapter 1, uh, the delight is in the law of God, and in this law we meditate day and night. Again, there's, there's substance to it. It's not an emptying, but a putting in. Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul writes elsewhere, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. It is to be this constant rolling through. So to think deeply about what's above directs our actions here below. I want to just offer one example from Scripture. There, there is a thousand ways that this would invade our lives and cause our choices and actions to be different. But here's just one of them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I want you to listen to this verse here as I read it. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Earthly forgiveness, this verse is saying, earthly forgiveness is the result of heavenly thought. It's the result of heavenly thought and consideration. Look at what God in Christ has done for you. Meditate upon that. We set our mind on things above. The forgiveness that God has made available to us through Jesus Christ. Let our minds be set upon that. And then let that invade our actions down here. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, every sinful vice that trips us up can be traced back in some way to earthly thinking. We're called to dwell on what is above so that it shapes us here below. That is what Paul is telling us here. Last point, number three. We'll look at verses three and four here. Four, and this is because we marinate on God's word, we set our minds on things above because Christ is the sum and substance of your spiritual and physical life. He's the beginning, he's the middle, he's the end, he's the sum, he's the substance of all of it. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Oh, there's some great phrases in here. There's two of them I want to just pull out and have us consider this morning. Your life is hidden with Christ, and Christ is your life. One comes from verse 3, one comes from verse 4. Our new Christian life is hidden with Christ. In fact, you'll notice all throughout these four verses, what happens with Christ happens with us. If we are Christians here today, what happens with Christ happens with us because we are bound together with him. Verse 1, we were raised with Christ. Verse 3, we are hidden with Christ. In verse 4, we will appear with Christ. All of this activity covers the full spectrum of our time. In the past, we've been raised with Christ. In the present, we are hidden with Christ. In the future, we will appear with Christ. And so what does it mean to be hidden with Christ? Again, that's a phrase and 
terminology, a way of describing something that we probably don't often use, that our lives are hidden with Christ. The idea of hiddenness here signifies separation and protection from danger. In fact, one commentator suggested thinking along the lines of your valuables being hidden from a thief. They're tucked away for safekeeping. And so our lives are tucked away for safekeeping with Christ. To be hidden with Christ is to be kept safe by the full power of God. We're not only kept and protected in the present, but also the future at the end of days. This is what verse 4 says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a sure guarantee here. Because Christ doesn't just give us life, he is our life. Think of that phrase for just a moment. When Christ, who is your life, he doesn't just give you life, he is your life. Therefore, you will never be found apart from him. This reminds me of, of the thought of, of a baby still in a mother's womb. Soon, that mother will give life to that baby. But while that baby is still in her womb, for the time being, that mother is the baby's life. Doesn't just give life, she is that child's life. This is what Paul is saying. Christ is your life. You will never be found apart from him. Protects us, preserves us, kept safe because we are with Christ who is our life. Christ's movements and Christ's dwelling and Christ's appearance become ours too. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this is what that means. Apart from Christ, there's no spiritual life. There's no eternal life. Only earthly existence. And how hollow and how unfulfilling and how temporary is it to just have earthly existence? No, instead, Christ is our life. With Christ, we have life and will one day join with him in glory. We are with him we are in him because he is our life. When he appears one day from heaven, we will also appear with him in glory forevermore. That is how bound up we are in the resurrected Christ. Let me just try to pull all of this together as we close this morning. Paul is saying, think about the new. Think about the raised life that you have and let that shape your life here and now. Do you remember when you purchased your home? What did you think about? Even though you were still living in your old residence, whether it was an apartment or maybe you purchased your home right out of your parents' house or whatever, what did you think about even living in your previous dwelling when you purchased that home? Did you think about decorating your old place? Did you think about improvements that you could make to your old home? Did you think about all of the ways you could change things to your old house? No. 
our minds are immediately preoccupied with what is coming. Even though you haven't taken possession of that new home yet, you're thinking about all of the things you could do. Well, this room needs new paint colors, and I could change this thing out, and we could do this to the landscaping, and it might need some improvement here, and let's begin to save up for this, and let's shop for this, and all of it is forward thinking to the new place. Man, you're dead to the old house. You, you sold that one. It's done. All of your energies and all of your thinking and all of your efforts and all of your ideas went to the new, even though you're still living in the old for a short time. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You sold the old life. You've died to the temporary, unsatisfying, earthly ways that are here. You've died to that. You've sold it. Even though we're still living on earth, our minds are stayed on Christ in heaven. This makes all of the difference here and now. It shapes who we are here and now. We set our minds on things above, and that mindset invades how we're living here and now. Brother and sister, no matter where you are today, no matter your need today, if you need comfort, if you need strength, if you're needing victory over a sin in your life, if you're needing direction, if you're needing purpose, if you're needing rest, set your mind on God. Set your mind on things above. Continue setting your mind on Christ and all that He's done. It will change your perspective on everything down here and it will begin to shape your life in a way that brings glory to God and good to you. Let us set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for these truths that, that give articulation for things that we experience. We, we, we know that there's been a work in our hearts. You, you've, you've done something inside of us. You've lifted the burden of guilt and shame and sin, and, and you've given us a, a fresh delight to worship you. But Lord, you're putting definition to this. We have died to the old. We've been raised with the new, and therefore, God, make us a people who are setting our mind on eternal things, setting our mind on things above. We can't do this apart from you. We ask that your spirit would work mightily in us so that Christ becomes our resurrection, so that Christ becomes all that we are. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.